0: Welcome to the How to Not Execute Your Strategy podcast. I'm your host, Tim O'Hi. This series is dedicated to the biggest lessons learned from the people who own strategic execution, the senior leaders who live in the center of it. My guest today is Alain Gravett. Elaine has had a wide variety of roles, from chief people officer to COO and sales lead for their biggest customer, to CEO of DDW The Color House, to now serving as the president of the Sense Color business unit within Givadon after their merger last year. You may have never heard of them, but as the premium provider of natural food colorings for the brands we eat globally, you have certainly been one of their customers. And Elaine has been a critical part of quadrupling the size of the company while using their culture to stay true to their purpose. Listen now as we dive into a failed business launch and how to make sure that your execution harnesses change management. Let's get to it. Hey, Elaine, I'm so glad you're joining us today. This is going to be a great conversation. Uh, folks, uh, this is Elaine Gravett. She is, actually, I'll let you do a little little minor intro, just where are you at physically and a little bit about your business, but I don't want to go too long because I already read all that stuff earlier.
1: Okay, sure. Um, Elaine Gravette, you've probably already heard. I've been with the business for 23 years. Um, we are a very interesting company in that we have this niche in the world of natural colors. And we've turned that niche into a now 200 million plus company, Uh, we actually were bought a year ago, that's a that's a whole different story. Um, Mm. But we have 11 sites around the world, we do business with all of the all of the big name food and beverage companies, I have been through a variety of roles last eight years I've been President slash CEO now division president um, Mm. of the company so I've been sort of at the helm of really strategy and execution and, and I'm here to talk about what we've done wrong.
0: That's awesome. I got to say this. So, so people don't know your company, but I go, look, if you've ever had a Coke, if you've ever had a bite of something, probably by Nestle, you've, you've tasted your product without ever tasting your product, which is the whole point, the food coloring business, um, especially as you go into natural ingredients, it's like, how do we give you the right look without messing up the experience? So I I think it's fascinating business, but but that's not what we're going to talk about today. Let's talk about uh, a, a time you had a strategy that didn't implement his plan. What did you learn from it?
1: OK, so as I said, we are a company that specializes in natural colors. We have all these great customer relationships uh, that we can leverage. And obviously we have a very robust supply chain where we get all of our ingredients, whether it's sugar or seeds or fruits or vegetables, mm. whatever those are. So we have a really nice company. And obviously, like all other businesses, we're looking for how to grow. Um, so a few years ago, Uh, We looked at a strategy to expand into the nutraceutical business, the sort of functional food and uh, vitamins and nutritional supplements, this kind of thing, which is a business that we we have a really small part in it, but as a color company. So this is now looking at the ingredients that we source, some of which have some nutritional properties, things like spirulina and things like this and turmeric, you know, and seeing could we play in the nutraceutical business could we leverage our ingredients could we leverage our customer relationships in this new space hmm. and the idea was to do it in a way that was pretty entrepreneurial um, you know we're we're big harvard business review um, learners in our in our company and we had read a book and and done some work on the ambidextrous organization which is um, you know a theory around how companies can nurture and grow new ideas and new businesses within the context of what is now a 150 plus year old mature company right so we brought this in with the idea that we would establish it pretty separately and set up its own leader and kind of set it up as a separate company but then also try to leverage our relationships and our supply chain
0: so so i want to just kind of you're taking essentially the same inventory that you're using to do natural food colorings, uh, and then flipping that also into a different kind of product line. Is that a fair right? Okay, so
1: really almost rebranding it and selling mm-hmm. it for different properties. Got so, it. as a color company, I'm selling it for its color intensity, for how it you know creates visual appeal in your products. If I'm selling it into the Nutra business, well, I'm trying to sell its. Health benefits, okay, in some cases, these are ingredients that do both, so there was a lot of overlap. It wasn't completely overlapping, but there okay. was a lot of overlap between what we were already sourcing and and what would work in this space, or so we thought um, so what happened? Uh, well, you know through no through no ill intention, it just simply didn't work and mm-hmm. when we looked back and reflected on it we we tried this for about three years, and the and the spoiler alert is. We ultimately shut the business down sort of folded the little bit of business that we had Mm. into the into the business that you know into the salesforce and things that we already had and kind of went from there. Okay. You know, a few learnings from my perspective, Um, one is in our effort to sort of make it different we selected a leader who understood startups but didn't understand our business and us. Oh, interesting. And that was in a way intentional, so that you wouldn't come with biases. you wouldn't come with sort of all that. But in doing so, we we brought somebody in who was a very good person, but so culturally different and so sort of lacking in the basics mm. that there just was no credibility for him to interact in the organization you know, if he if orders tried to get placed, and he didn't know how to do it, and he didn't know who to ask, and you know, he might ask and it again, uh, this is no fault of, of this gentleman's necessarily. He just was brought in for one skill set, and just completely lacking in another. And that was our choice. We knew that we just really under and underestimated what he kind of needed to know in terms of tribal knowledge and organizational knowledge yeah. to succeed inside this organization.
0: Was that because so that was, you didn't ask other people for advice? Is that because you had some assumptions or you know information that wasn't accurate or wh- why did you not do that? What where was the root cause?
1: I think I think it was this element of feeling like we wanted it to be pretty entrepreneurial and different and mm-hmm. we didn't want to bring someone who had the biases of our existing organization. So we brought someone who was kind of a startup specialist because yeah. we're we're 150 plus years old. Yeah. We're a very mature business. We work with very mature businesses. Yeah. That's super people, but not easy to get really entrepreneurial things going inside mm. that kind of an organization. Mm. So we just overfocused on one skill set and really underanticipated the rest of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's almost like you were trying to blend a culture, you were trying to not be your culture and you still had to be your culture. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And so and that's sort of the second point is it was separate but not separate enough to be mm. able to survive having two different cultures. So, you know, separate company but their offices were within our building, within mm. our headquarters. Mm. So you're passion you know you're passing people at the coffee maker and you're eating lunch together and and you know you've got one group that's operating on a set of metrics that's a completely different set of metrics from the rest of the group. Hmm. And it just simply wasn't separated enough. Wow. And, and you know, and again at the same time we're trying to leverage our customer contacts we are trying to leverage our supply chain so it's really not separate.
0: Okay. So you've got, you've got people who are literally trying to serve two masters with different metrics and different definitions of success. And they have to, they have to change their definition of role and their hat literally from one meeting to the next.
1: Exactly. Wow. Okay. And and imagine that it didn't work.
0: Yeah. 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 (laughs) Well, so could it work (laughs) theoretically? Sure. But if you're not tackling it, if you're not intentionally going after it, let me show you how this works and make it super clear, because there are companies out there that produce a variety of of products, and they understand their business model, but they're really good at being very clear about this is when you switch, this is when you don't. So without that, that extra level of clarity, it's really hard to then expect things to kind of generate their own energy and their own momentum. Yeah.
1: And i have to kind of hold my hand up and say you know some of that was a, a lack of leadership anticipating okay what was really going to be necessary sure. you know how how might these metrics be different what conversations are going to happen at the coffee maker what kind of resentments might you be you oh, know yeah. unintentionally building up by oh, this group is measured this way and this group is measured that way we learned a lot looking back after the fact um but it you know it just wasn't enough to kind of stick them in a separate space and say you know, let's go. And obviously there was more, there was more thoughtfulness put in than that, but you know, in a nutshell, um, separate, but not separate enough. Yeah. And two cultures trying to both coexist and be two different cultures to be successful in their, in their enterprises.
0: So I want to stay here for a little bit because Mm -hmm. this is a, this is a tale that, um, I mean, I'm, I've got my own memories of mergers and acquisitions and other things I've been a part of and, And, and you don't have to have a completely different, you know, business model. You could just be bringing a separate business in and you have these same issues. Mm -hmm. Um, This is pretty big. So, how did you figure it out? Did you did you figure it out later? Did you figure out as you go? Uh, who do you go to for advice? I know you're big on mentoring and I know that's a passion of yours. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have a mentor? You could say, hey, help me figure this out. Because this, this is why we do the podcast is because there's nobody really out there who's walking through the model of how to execute. There's a lot of strategy models, but there's very few mm-hmm. execution models, if any, that people can rattle off. So how did yeah. you figure it out as you went? Because you're three years into this thing.
1: We were. Um, so I had an executive coach, uh, who was a fantastic coach who I just recommend for anybody who is in a leadership position. I'm a huge proponent because you need somebody who's an outside voice, mm. no matter how good the people are around you, they're mm. not an independent voice. Mm. And she and I had a couple of difficult conversations where she it was like, what are you doing? Um, and, you know, take a step back and look at it from the outside view. And so You know, we made a couple of tweaks along the way, um, where we tried to separate it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the other the other issue that we had was, you know, when you're in a startup phase, you've got you've got a burn rate, and you've only got so much resource that you're willing to dedicate to something before you decide that you know, you you have stage gates, you have to decide is it a go or a no go? Yeah. And we simply in some ways, Probably didn't figure out fast enough if we could make it work before we kind of ran out of where we were comfortable with the investment level Wow and so there were elements of there were elements of why we were doing it this way to try to sort of keep the investment level down that you can look back and say, well maybe a, maybe a separate office would have prevented you know that less interaction on the on a casual basis would have prevented it I don't know you know these are these are the kinds of things, but you know it was we were kind of half pregnant. <laughs> you know, and uh, it doesn't really work to be half pregnant.
0: No, no, <laughs> it's pretty binary. So this is, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit holding my mouth here because this is so rich. The, the thought I'm having, and I want you to kind of build off of it is, it's everybody needs to empower their organization to do what they need to do. And and especially in startups, but it's not just, it's any any budget experience when you don't have unlimited resources. The lack of clarity is going to waste or burn through whatever empowerment you have. So your potential to yes. empower the team to get stuff done, if you don't get clarity established quickly, people are literally, then then you get the snowball of lack of clarity, lack of empowerment, and then you get into the whole people like, I, 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 you mentioned resentment, you mentioned people gathering on the coffee and just like, I, I'm not happy. And then right. people start tuning out and checking out and maybe even looking other places to go. Right. Because you didn't get that traction quickly on the front end. Um, exactly. How, how long um, did it take for you to start realizing, okay, we, we have, we're not hitting the financial targets. We're burning through our, our resources. We're getting negative emotional energy as a result of this. How long did it take for you before you started recognizing, okay, um, we've got to, we've got to have a go to a, a, a shutdown phase and turn this thing off
1: um so there are a couple of elements here one you're exactly right one of one of my points that i was going to make is that we we just really failed to sell people on why this was important Mm. why change wow that's part of that clarity right Yeah. why are we doing it why are we doing it um and then the element that probably slowed us down as we began to realize hey there are some pretty significant problems here and i don't know if we have the bandwidth to solve them Mm. because you know Sometimes you have to just look at it and say, good idea, you know, probably could solve this from an execution standpoint, but do we have the time to invest in this versus the opportunity cost of working on other things where the business is, you know, has got some other traction and some other things going. It became a little bit personal. Wow. You know, it became a little bit of, it's really hard to decide that you didn't do it well and shut it down. It feels personal. Mm-hmm. and we had to work through the emotion of it's okay this was set up as a startup and we knew from the beginning that it might not work and that's okay learn failure is learning mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. but it but it, you know it probably took i don't know 6 months to a year to get from the early signs of uh you know yeah. how much more investment is this work not just not just money investment but sort of energy and resource investment All in of terms it. of people's yeah. mindset to okay we're done you know we will we'll do we only had three people that worked for it so we, it was not hard to manage from a human resource standpoint none of that is easy but yeah. it took about probably close to a year to wow. finally progress to the point where we really shut it down move some things in, reallocated the resources and and managed from there. And and most of that was just a real struggle to acknowledge that it wasn't working. <laughs> real
0: soul searching, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I want to use this as kind of like a, a point to to dive into the next piece, which is, mm-hmm. you know, two or three skills or even mindsets you have to have. that, And ultimately, it's not just you as a leader. It, it, the question is, What are two or three things that everybody in the organization needs to know or do or think in order to, or even feel, in order for execution to be really strong?
1: Um, So the first thing that comes to my mind is, it sounds kind of weird, but empathy. Like having enough of a deep understanding of your organization at various levels Mm. that you can empathize with the people who are going to have to execute the strategy with the people who are going to have to change what they do, the people who are going to experience discomfort or, you know, chaos, even being able to empathize with that, anticipate that to some extent, even address it or, or you know, at least allow them some space and some airtime to, to talk about it. I mean, that's, that's potentially a part of a change management, but I think if you if you don't really know and appreciate enough about the business to be able to have credibility in conversations um then i think it's very hard to execute on this idea because strategy by definition is change so yeah. it's change management you know yeah. you're you're executing something that is different than what you were doing before to try to get a different result that is change and it means people are going to have to do stuff differently
0: how do you develop empathy in your team how, Is that something you recruit do you train it? I mean, you know, how do you make sure people are empathetic toward each other uh, at all? I mean, you can go by by altitude in terms of you know level of authority. You can go by function. You can go by geography. Uh, you're an international company, so I, I know you've got stuff that's happening in other company or other countries that other people aren't even aware of are happening. So how do you how do you build that empathy because it is so critical to how you execute.
1: Um. I think in certain roles, it's certainly a part of what you're recruiting for, of what you're looking for on the front end. But, you know, I can't speak for everyone. The The approach we've taken is we take the top 25 or 30 leaders in the company, and we spend a lot of time trying to build total business acumen and a picture mm. of the total business, mm. not with your regional hat on, not with your functional hat on, but a picture of the total business. And you know, we we invest, you know, let's say a half a day, a quarter or more in that group, really having an appreciation of how the total business works. That group also is incentivized on global business performance. Mm-hmm. So they have some, they have some uh, incentives to understand yeah. the total business and the total business picture and what people might be going through. The other thing we do is in our onboarding, um, everybody who comes through onboarding spend some time in the plant. They spend some time sitting with customer support. I don't care which role you're coming in for. If you're at a manager level or above, you're gonna spend some time with the people who get things done. Ideally, we we send you on a sales call if, if it's possible, or at least you engage with commercials. So you get a real sort of initial setting from all the functions um, on what's important to them. What are their pain points? What, is, what does life look like for them? What do they like about being with the company? But really building that base before you get launched into your job and things get busy, that's a really fundamental part of our of our onboarding for anybody who's at a mid to high level.
0: So I think it's fascinating that your approach to empathy isn't just kumbaya, let's all be nice to each other. It's actually driven by business acumen and and systems thinking, as well as your culture and the expectation of what your leaders are not only um, understanding but modeling for everyone. And then, of course, that translates into the spoken and unspoken expectations for av- everyone treats each other. Uh, and I know your leaders uh, are really quality human beings to begin with, uh, but that's interesting that you've you've almost systematized empathy from the onboarding moment all the way through to how we do our annual um, strategic thinking. Uh, is there is there a barrier that you look for when somebody who's, who's struggling with empathy? Is there something that you notice that's like, ah, this person's not going to do well, or they're really going to have a hard time fitting in because they can't seem to understand how empathy drives how we support each other and get stuff done?
1: Um, I mean, certainly we have had people in the organization who didn't who didn't stick. And a lot of that was probably because it was, as it is in a lot of organizations, the culture fit wasn't right, right, right. Um, you know, I think, even in an interview with someone coming in, you can ask questions about the business that they're in, Mm. and try to understand. What do they talk about when you talk about the business that they're in? Can they speak about the total business metrics, or are they sort of inside their functional metrics and their functional point of view and you know don't really have a sense of what else is happening um or at least are they demonstrating curiosity about it I mean yeah. maybe maybe they've not been exposed, yeah, but are they do they bring that i I look for curiosity and a real learning mindset and that sounds very cliche you have to have that or you're not going to be successful because we're going to ask you to learn stuff that isn't a direct doesn't have a direct impact on your job, doesn't have a direct impact on your success in your role, but we need you to have that mindset so that you model it for the rest of the organization and so that when we're trying to make changes, you can appreciate how hard it might be or what the implications might be. I need my leaders to do that.
0: So it's almost as if your your empathy creates agility your empathy creates the ability to pivot and make adjustments because it may not have an impact to you say on your job or on your task but it has a direct impact on our ability to execute in the future as we go because it's going to be a long year there's four quarters 12 months and every one of them count um so that's an interesting approach okay so let me um, let me move to what's a second big rock skill mindset thing that you're looking for that you would want everybody in the organization to have when it comes to executing humility? Mm, tell me more.
1: um, so a willingness to put the business's success over your own. Hmm. Um, and recognizing and and again, we we lean very heavily on. We reward people for the total business success, no matter where you are in the organization that's right. everybody's metric um so we try to help incentivize that mindset. but you know we what we find is if everybody sort of recognizes how they contribute to the whole, how they contribute to the success mm-hmm. and you understand that you're just a part of the you're just a part of the mechanism, you're a part of the organization, you're part of this biological being that's making things happen. And frankly, my role is, you know, my role doesn't exist without the operators who drive the, you know, drive the stuff out. And I better know that and they better understand that I know that. And, you know, demonstrating that in very real ways, authentic ways, not, not, hey, I'm going to show up ways, but You know really demonstrating that you understand that everybody contributes we're a relatively small organization we're 350 people now i think on a worldwide basis so a location might only have 40 or 50 people that makes it a little easier to go in and be able to kind of genuinely interact and you know but i i it's important to go in and have them recognize that you value what they do and you recognize that they contribute and their contribution is Equal to my contribution on any given day,
0: it's okay. like it's like sports. Most days, when... their
1: contribution's probably more than mine on any given day. <laughs>
0: that's, that's fair. <laughs> so, but it's like sports in the sense that um, I think like baseball when the, when the World Series you know is over and and there's a team that's won, everybody gets a ring, whether right. you were the star pitcher or the star outfielder or whatever, or the coach or the trainer or working in the back office, or, you know, even the broadcasters get rings, because it was all part of one huge team experience. Uh, and, and everybody's recognized for the effort, which that's, that then opens the door. So if you want humility, do you still have to have some sort of recognition? Or do you just want people to be humble for the sake of being humble?
1: Um, no, I mean, we still recognize, we really emphasize recognizing each other. Yeah. So who do you want to thank today? Yeah. Who You know, I we end meetings with successes or, you know, who who do you want to thank today? And, you know, so people recognize each other. So this person, you know, this person in it really helped me out today. I was having a system problems and they were super responsive or the people in customer support, as they always do, are absolutely killing it. You know, trying to make sure that our customers are getting the information that they need and that, yeah. you know, they understand that, you know, we, we put them first and so that it really becomes it becomes about everybody recognizing each other we don't do a ton of formal recognition our recognition is largely informal in in the way it happens um but we encourage a lot of we encourage a lot of that in formal meetings and we encourage a lot of that in sort of our cultural touch points when we're getting people together just again it's it's a very sort of community-minded way to go to go after it and for our Mature business and our global business it, it, that works for us,
0: and and do you add in a concept I would call it celebration? So you celebrate the wins as mm-hmm. a team, and then you recognize the individual efforts as you go. So it's almost like there's still this big bash, whatever, um, and you're saying yes. So I, I'll let you explain how do you do that.
1: So you know, let's let's assume that we get a big win with a with a big customer. Mm. This happens. We love it you know, we'll do, we'll do something fun the next time we're together in a monthly communication meeting, we will definitely celebrate the people who directly impacted that the salesperson, the technical person who contributed, there will always be a handful of people. It's never just one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then we just kind of celebrate it as as an organization, because now what happens is, well, the operations has to make that product and get it to the customer for it to be successful. And, you know, AP has to make sure that they get billed so that the actual revenue comes in. So that, you know, it all still comes into the system, and so a win—a win with a customer is a win for everybody.
0: I love it, and it's the whole idea of nobody's—nobody's nobody's being left out, nobody's being left behind. We celebrate, but it's all about what the group collectively did, and and even at the quote individual level, it's the individual team that worked together for that success. And that fuels humility, that fuels the ability, to, like my my tank is filled emotionally, because I know I'm being appreciated in my day to day life. And we're winning. And right. I would imagine, uh, if you're not winning, then then morale goes down and all these other different things happen. And people start feeling and it's, and now it's, uh, I won't say it's, it's, it's humility goes away, but it's got to seem like it's it's harder so you got to look as a leader you got to keep looking for wins looking for ways so that people don't start going into that dark part of our brains that we all have uh, and start disengaging is that fair that you have that expectation for yourself and for your leaders to hey look let's just keep things even when times are tough COVID was brutal as an example um, and and we can go on and on about the list of obstacles that happened but how do you keep people motivated to, to con- contributing until the next one happens
1: you know, I think COVID and then, you know, this year, our, the, the inflation and the supply chain and the war in Ukraine, I mean, it it just feels like it has just gone on and on and on. Um, First of all, I will say, I feel like we had a lot of credit in the bank. So, you know, we had built this culture and this, Mm. this sense of being winners and and being leaders yeah and we so we had quite a lot of credit that we could lean on that we could draw from when things were difficult and we didn't just draw on that but it was important to have that foundation laid. Because it was you know it was really tough, and then we just did a lot of thank you for being here, thank you for showing up, thank you for making sure that you know Coca Cola still lands on the shelves, thank you for. um you know, taking, thank you to your families for taking care of each other so that the, so that the business can continue. It became much more basic, Mm. but we all got a little more sort of basic during COVID anyway. I think we all went to something that was, you know, just appreciate the friendships that you have, appreciate the relationships that you have, appreciate that we all were still employed and, you know, we were all still able to come to work. And, you know, we, we had a few people who fell ill but you know we didn't we fortunately didn't lose anybody in our organization to covid be thankful for that yeah so you know it doesn't winning the definition of winning became a little bit different during covid and then this past year was really difficult um for a different reason because you know okay covid was beginning to i won't say normalized but we were beginning to kind of come out of the of that panic but the business was just so difficult. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, then you're celebrating effort and tenacity. And, you know, the just the going above and beyond to just get that thing out the door. Wow. Um, and frankly, some of our competitors were falling down. And so we were getting a chance to pick up after competitors. And so there's, you know, there are always, there are always things to celebrate. If you've got your eyes open and you're looking at what's happening in the organization and you really understand your organization.
0: That's so good. I, 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 I'm looking at our time and I, we need to wrap up, but I, we could stay here, Elaine. This is like genuinely really good stuff because I heard things like um, gratitude is fuel. Um, celebrating just the effort. It's not about the achievement. It's about the work that people and the dedication, the discipline can be uh, fuel. All these other elements, you, you can find different things to keep the attitude in the right place, as long as you're making sure you're keeping track of that attitude.
1: Yes. Sure. So good.
0: Thank you so much. I'm so glad you joined me for this first season. And I, it's, this is a great conversation. So I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, getting feedback from others when they get to listen to the things you've shared. But thanks again so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed it.
0: I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. There were so many excellent points. And I'm curious, what are your biggest takeaways? And how are you going to use them? My three biggest takeaways are, Beware the trap of ignoring your dependencies. Successful execution is the result of many more components than just an inspired plan. As decisions are being made, genuine knowledge and empathy for others is essential to execution. Most execution involves change management, and everyone needs to anticipate the impacts of change on the people doing the execution, or they will disengage. Empathy can be systematized. From onboarding to annual strategic planning, make sure every leader at every level is anchored to an empathy for what you are asking people to do. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with at least one person and leave me a review on whatever platform you downloaded this podcast. Your feedback is invaluable to me. And Imua, onward and upward.